Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Of a series called Million Dollar Question. If you have not been here, go, especially last week. As a matter of fact, last week was to me such an important and powerful message. Go and watch that one. If you don't watch any of the other ones in the series, go watch that one. Each question has been a little bit different. And what we've been examining is this, is that when we read the Bible and when we read through how God is interacting with people, he will simply just pause every once in a while and drop a question on them. And that the questions are not designed because God lacks information. What all-knowing being would ever lack information actually need to know? Hey, what, what is your name? As if he forgot. You know, it, it, it's not like that. And God has asked these questions so that it might penetrate your heart, penetrate your mind, and bring you to a brand new understanding of who God is and what's going on in your life. And so these, these million-dollar questions are dropped very, very frequently throughout Scripture, which also means this, is that as we walk with God and journey with God, that every once in a while we should hopefully be hearing the voice of God and that in that we should hear God asking us a question. I, I remember um, the time that this stands out to me the most is, is years ago I was a young man. I was living in San Jose, and I backed into a car. Have y'all ever done this, like in a parking lot or something like that? Yeah, it's, it's, nobody wants to be like, that's me. Um, and, and, and there's a thing where, like, you know you hit the other person's car, and the right thing to do is to leave a note with your name and information on it. And, 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 and this dude that had parked behind me was parking in an empty parking space, and he cheated, Right? That wasn't his parking space. That was an apartment that was empty. These are all signed spaces. And that apartment was empty, and he shouldn't have been parking there. So technically, he was cheating. And I backed into his car because no one ever parks there, right? Because I'm used to just backing straight up and then... And so... Because it's a parking garage. There's a, anyway. And so anyway, I, I hit him, and, and I remember thinking, like, you come up with the best excuses, right? You're like well, technically that's his fault and he shouldn't have been parking there. Blah, 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 blah. And I remember God asked me this question and it penetrated my heart and it stayed with me even to this day. He goes, Todd, how, how much is your integrity worth? And I'm like, oh, God, got me. <laughs> so every once in a while in your journey and you're walking with God, God might occasionally ask you a question and these questions are meant to just challenge you and penetrate your heart and your mind and help you walk with him at a greater level and so we've been looking at these questions and today I'm going to give you a, a, an incredibly challenging question because it's a question that really is going to be presented to us one way or the other in, in, in terms of why we're asked this question there's a guy named Job everybody say Job there's this guy named Job who in, endures incredible pain and suffering and heartache. And, and here, here's why I said we're all going to be challenged with this at some point in our life. Because if you live life for any length of time, you experience pain, tragedy, suffering, or some combination thereof. And when you see suffering and when you see pain, or God forbid, when you experience it, there's something in you that knows, man, I, th this ain't good. I don't like this. Why? And if you have any faith in God, sometimes your faith can even be shaken or rattled or challenged because then you start asking, well, like, wait a minute, if God loves me, why would this happen? If God is all-loving and all-powerful, how could a good God ever let something like this happen? Have you ever felt just remotely a little bit like nobody wants to raise your hand? You ever, you ever like see people, and because I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor, so I go pray for people, and you go and you pray, and sometimes they get healed, and sometimes they die. 
And sometimes even like, these are the worst ones because I've come to the grips with everybody dies, but I also think, well, everybody should die when they're really, really old at least. You know, that, that kind of a thing. It's tragic when somebody dies before their time and they die too early in life. Or, or the, maybe, this is maybe even the worst one, is when there is this accident that happened. It wasn't even the evil of man or, you know, it wasn't anything you could explain. It's like a weird accidental random thing. And you're like, oh, how in the world, how there just seems to be no rhyme and no reason. And God, why could you let that stuff happen? And these questions come up in your heart whenever you deal with the issue of pain and suffering and tragedy. And you're like, God, why? Why? I don't, I don't get it. And this is Job. Like the story in the life of Job is, it, let me do this. I'm going to walk you through the life of Job briefly. Can I do that? How many of you have ever like heard the life of Job, kind of know a little bit? And, and most of us that know it don't really know it. We just kind of know it. We, we know this. It, is, it all went bad. But for those of you who don't know, I'm going to tell you the story of Job. Job is a very long book of the Bible. And it's broken into four major parts. Part one is this. Part one is in, in the first couple of chapters, there's this really weird kind of d- display where God's in heaven and, the, and the, literally it's like Satan is like, comes before God. And God asks him, hey, what are you, what are you doing? And seriously, what have you been up to? And he goes, well, I've just been roaming to and fro the earth. Basically, he's saying, hey, I've been just, you know, tempting and, and making bad and messing things up and doing, you know, just doing what I do. And, and, and he goes, and God seemingly says, have you ever th- seen Job before? Have you considered my servant Job? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I know Job. And the only reason Job loves you and the only reason Job lives for you is because you're so good to him and because you bless him and you do all these things. And so then he's like, fine, that if you believe that's really, really true, then you may tempt him. And so Satan goes and wreaks havoc on the life of Job. We're talking about his seven sons and his three daughters dying in awful tragedy. You're talking about the loss of all of his wealth and all of his possessions. Eventually, Satan strikes his body with sickness and illness and even in all that Job will not reject God and so this is the first scene and when you I'm telling you what you you better keep reading because if you only read the first couple of chapters of Job you you could think that God was just kind of mean you could think well he's like the kid with the magnifying glass and an ant farm and he just kind of picks and chooses hey look at the little one let's see what we can do to him today and and as if as if you're just a pawn on the chessboard of life and God just whirls you around and lets you do and, and you would well, wait a minute but you better keep reading the story so the first part is how God and Satan and Satan is tempting Job and and, and pushing him and, and and giving pain and strategy it's like and so Part two is this. Now, in part two, Jacob begins to have conversations with his friends. Now, the, the seven sons and the three daughters all die, but Satan was smart. Uh, Job had a crazy, nagging, mean witch of a wife, and he didn't kill her. I know that's what he was thinking. Like, why didn't you take her? Because she's like, you know what? God's this and God's that, and you should just curse God and die. And he's like, woman, you're tripping. And so... He sits in mourning for his sons and daughters and all that he's been through in life. And when you have some good friends, good friends will come and mourn with you. They'll just sit if they need to. And they literally, these, these three friends, their three friends' name are, are weird names, Elphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. It sounds like Lord of the Rings people and hobbits. Are, but they, they show up as Job's friends and they literally sit in silence for seven days to mourn with Job. That's a good friend, by the way. 
But then after this, they get into a conversation with Job. And Job's argument seems to be this, that suffering is just random. Suffering is unpredictable. And God, I don't know why you do it. And he begins to question God. And he's upset and maybe even rightfully so. But he begins to question God. And the, and the three friends jump in. And there's this, I'm telling you, this goes on for like 20 chapters. These conversations. And they're long and drawn out. And this is why nobody reads the book of Job mostly. Because it gets super confusing right in the middle because you don't know who's talking and is this, is this good, godly, or is this like, I, I don't even know. And let me tell you this, it's just their conversation. And this is what the three friends, the conclusion that they come to is this, is that Job, suffering is not random and unpredictable. Suffering is God punishing you because you're sinful. And Job's like, wait a minute, I'm righteous. I'm a good guy. And they're like, no, you must have a hidden sin. There's something we don't know about because God doesn't punish people unless they really, really deserve it. And you must have done something really, really bad. How many know like good friends have turned bad? (laughs) And Job goes on to say, no, I promise, because here's the deal. Logically, that doesn't work out because when you look at the world, you would say, no, sometimes the righteous suffer and I don't know why. And sometimes the wicked prosper. And that makes me really angry on top of everything. And I just don't think, and, 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 and you would look at the world and say, you know, Job's got a point. Sometimes the wicked prosper and sometimes the righteous suffer. So is Job right or are the friends right? And then a new guy gets introduced. His name is, is we'll call him Eli. And so Elihu, Eliha. Eli, we're going with Eli. And so Eli shows up and says, you guys are all wrong. This goes on for another several chapters. Again, why most people don't read the book of Job. And so he goes on to say, no, 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 no. You guys have got it all wrong. It's not that suffering is random and unpredictable. And it's not just that God, and yeah, sometimes God punishes wickedness with judgment. And sometimes that happens. But in all things, God has purpose. That even in suffering that may seem to be random, there can be meaning. There can be the fact that God is still up to something. You just don't always know what. But here's the deal. Job had become angry and Job had become a little bit upset and began to question God. And about chapter 39, God shows up. Listen to what it says. So part three is this, is that now God questions Job. So in light of all of this, God shows up and drops the million dollar question. Now just chapters ago, Job was questioning God and maybe rightfully so, at least from his own perspective and his own vantage point, God, why do bad things happen to good people? And why do good things happen to bad people? And why is there pain and suffering and tragedy? I want to know. I need to know. And I'm mad at you. And God shows up. Look at this. Job chapter 38, verse number one. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. And he said, who is this that obscures my plans without, or with words without knowledge? Hmm. What, what he's in essence saying is this, is, is are you talking but have no idea what you're talking about? Parents, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you ever had a conversation with your kids? And they're getting into something complicated and complex about life and all that is. And they think they're, and they're three, you know. You don't know. Who is this that obscures my plans with words that are without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. Um, interpretation, put on your big boy pants. This is going to get rough. Brace yourself like a man and I will question you. 
And now you will answer me. Next verse. Where were you? And that's the million dollar question if you're taking notes. Where were you? Just if you have your Bible, just under that. Where were you? And this is what he said. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know that. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Put it this way. When I said let there be light and flung this whole thing into existence, where were you at? What were you doing? Do you know anything at all about how complex this thing really is? As a matter of fact, some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture come next. If you want to read it, start reading from verse 38 on. Because God begins to question Job. This is not the end of it. This is the fascinating part. For three chapters straight. And they're long. And they're beautiful. And he just goes, I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you a sampling. Just a, little, just a little bit. God questioned Job's about the earth. He says, have you journeyed to the springs of the sea? Or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Answer, no. Then he goes, I mean, this is three chapters long. I'm totally just sampling this. God questions him about the heavens. He says this. He said, what is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths of their dwelling? Answer, no. Then he questions him about animals for like a long time too. He, it's just a sample. Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread its wings toward the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and build its nest on high? Answer, I don't know. And here's, here's, here's the lesson. Like here's, here's what's really going on here. Lesson is this. Um, I'm big and you're little. I know all things and you barely know anything at all. Lesson. There is no way for a finite being to get his mind wrapped around the complexities of an infinite God. Lesson. There are 10 million things about running this world in which you don't know the first thing. But I know them perfectly. That's the lesson because when you begin, this is what really took place here. Is Job began to question God. And yes, there's pain and yes, there's suffering. And sometimes we cry out to God for help and strength. But be careful that you don't cross the line. Be careful that you don't go too far in your questioning God because this is what really was going on here. Remember in the very first couple of chapters, you would almost think that God is messing with people. And that doesn't seem nice. And then the three friends say, well, no, you've got hidden sin and your hidden wickedness brought the judgment of God. And then, and then the other guy came and said he actually was on the right path. He said, no, there's got to be some type of meaning and purpose. It's not arbitrary and random and obscure. It's, it, there's purpose and meaning to it. And what you find is this, is that although Job was a righteous man, hidden in his heart was pride. Hidden in his heart was pride, and, when it, and it kind of comes out in all of his conversations, and it comes out with the fact that he keeps justifying himself, and that's why Eli was basically like, why do you keep justifying yourself, but you never give God the benefit of the doubt? And he revealed that Job, actually, even though he was a good man, he had, because how many know certain sins are obvious? You know what I mean? When you punch somebody in the face, or you lie, or you do, you do certain things and get caught, or you get thrown in, everybody knows, that's out on front street, but there are certain sins that you can't quite 
quantify. They're buried deep in your heart. Things like pride or greed. You can't, you can't quantify those. I greeted today. I prided on a level four today. You, we don't know, but they're hidden deep in your heart. And actually, many times they are the things that create the outward sins. That's another day. But what you find is this, is that Job had pride hidden in his heart. And the reason why he had suffering was not, was not because of God hating him, because of God loving him. And it wasn't the pain of, of the taskmaster as much as it was like the scalpel of the surgeon. And God removing the pride that was in his heart because even in suffering it may seem that it's totally random and arbitrary. It may seem that maybe God's trying to... But, but here's the big deal. And, and this is the challenge of the book of Job. At the end of it all, you don't know. That's, isn't that the tough part? As I look at pain and I look at suffering, and listen to me, and, and this is real for certain people. Like there, I, I know too many stories. There are people in this room. There's a man in our, our, our church just now got recently diagnosed with cancer and started chemotherapy. There's a young lady today that I talked to her. Her mom just passed away yesterday. There are people in here who are going through incredible difficulties. There's another man who his, his granddaughter had twins and lost one of the babies. Like this isn't, this isn't, this isn't like a thing. It, it's real. And even though you might not be experiencing it right now, you need to brace yourself because at one point in time you will. And I don't want you to come to the wrong conclusions. I don't want you to become angry at God because you think God is just punishing you because of sin or that, that maybe suffering is just random and arbitrary and obscure and weird and I can't ever put my finger on it. I want you to do a few different things. And here's really what Job, what reveals, and we'll see this in Job's life, is he had pride hidden in his heart. And look at how he finally responds to the questions of God. Verse, or chapter 40, verse 1. The Lord said to Job, still with these questions, three, three chapters long, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God now answer. And so Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Do you hear those words? It's the words of humility saying, you know what, you're right. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answer. When people come to me, they come to me with these deep questions and why this and why did God this and why and here, here's, I don't, I don't know. Because when you're asked the question, where were you when God flung the stars into the heavens? The answer is, I wasn't there. I don't know. That's the million dollar question, isn't it? Where were you? I wasn't there. And I don't know. I cannot fully make sense of everything in the universe and why it happens and why God chose to do these things or to allow these things or to put these things in motion. I wasn't there. I don't know. But as a, as a follower, I have to do these three things. Number one is this, is I must rest in the sovereignty of God. And what that means is simply this, is that although I may not fully understand and fully grasp all things, I do rest in this knowledge and this assurance that he is in control. Regardless of whether I agreed with the outcomes or like the outcomes, he is in control. Not only that, I must trust in the goodness of God. Because what, what, what happens is in the midst of our pain and suffering, it is easy to get so focused on that and then lose sight of everything else. You don't know how this thing is all woven together. You have no idea how this thing is unfolding. You have no idea what was coming next and why God may have done something to prevent something else or to cause something else or, or listen, or to save someone else. You don't know. 
But I guarantee you this is that when you look at the totality of all that God is and all that he has done, it is always built on his love and his goodness. And if I lose sight of that, I will become angry and bitter in my suffering. And then lastly, I just need to surrender to the will of God. Like at some point, I just need to say, hey, look, God, I don't know what you're up to always, but I'm willing to to pursue it. I'm willing to seek it out. I'm willing to hear your voice. I'm willing to listen to you, God. I want to know what you're trying to do in me. Is there something I need to learn? Is there something I need to grow? Is there something in my heart that was hidden that I was not even aware of? Because here's the thing. Job kept saying, hey, I'm a good person. Hey, I have a good heart. Hey, all this stuff. We had this conversation at, at Bible study the other night. There's a problem with saying the phrase, but I'm a good person. I have a good heart. You know, we were talking about people's intent and we were like, hey, uh, you know, what's in my heart? I know what's in my heart. I know what my intentions really were. And you know what the problem is? No, you don't. Don't ever say, but I'm a good person and I have a good heart and I know what's in my heart. No, you don't. I love you, but you don't. I'll prove it to you. When you were younger, you would have a season of life and maybe, maybe life or experience or God brought you through something. And have you ever, you ever done this where you got through that in life and you're like, wow, I didn't know that was in my heart. Have you ever had that aha moment where you were all of a sudden clued and you're like, wow, I, this experience brought me to the realization that it was something in me that I didn't know what was in me. Like, like I'll give you an example. Like when I had, uh, when I got married, I realized, wow, I'm really selfish because I really enjoy doing what I wanted to do, when I wanted to do it, how I wanted to do it, right? But now I've surrendered my life to another human being, and now I, okay. But it's not too bad, because I still get to do most of what I want to do when I want to do it. And even then, a lot of times I just do it with her, right? So, so like, it's still good. And then, and then I had my first kid. And then I realized, like, wow, I'm really selfish still. But okay, God, I, this is something you want to deal with and work out in me. And so all of a sudden, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get this out of my heart. And I, I got you know, a couple years past having my first kid. And you know, I was so proud of myself. I said, you know, I really overcame that whole selfish thing. And then a year later, I had my second kid. I'm like, man, I'm still so doggone selfish. Now I have even less time to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, and how I want to. I keep, getting, I keep having less money and less time. God, what are you doing? And I thought, surely I have now, I am a righteous man. Holy, holy is me. I am free from selfishness. I'm a a selfless follower of Jesus, just serving in his kingdom. And then I had my third kid. And all of a sudden, like, God, why am I so selfish? And I just realized that, like, the problem was saying, I know it's in my heart, it's not true. Because you've come through something and gotten past a certain experience in your life and you realize, wow, I didn't know that was in there. Hint, hint, you know what that means? There's still stuff in there that you may be fully unaware of, but God is fully aware of. Be careful with saying like Job, I'm a good guy, I'm a righteous man, I don't deserve this, God, who are you and why? Just be careful. And here's ultimately why, you weren't there You don't know. You cannot fully comprehend what the God of the universe is up to and the complexity of all that it takes to keep six billion people floating in perfect harmony the way and to try to get the end result and to try to get people moving into the kingdom and the glory. You just don't know. And I don't either. And it stinks to not know. But that's why we do this. We rest in the sovereignty of God. We trust in the goodness of God and we surrender 
to the will of God. And if we will do that and humble ourselves like Job did, you get to part four of the story. And part four of the story is, <laughs> is that God restores Job's life. So you, when you go read the very last chapter of Job's life, the Bible actually says that God blessed him more in the latter part of his life than he did in the former part of his life. That he ended up actually with double the amount of possessions. That he still had seven sons and three more daughters in his future. I wonder if he stayed with his wife. It's not clear. I guess we can assume that. But he ends up with, and it says this, it says that he got to grow old and see his grandchildren. And here's the other deal. There's something weird in here. In the first part of the story, it makes most mention of his sons, seven sons and three daughters. Most mentioned in the first part about his sons. But in the very end, it mentions that his daughters. And it's very, very specific, almost odd, like, boop. This unique moment where it says, and he had three daughters who were more beautiful and wonderful than all the daughters in all the land kind of a thing. And it mentions their name very, very specifically. And, and again, when you read these names, they're kind of odd, just like, you know, Bilbo Baggins and the other group of kids that were arguing with Job. But their names mean this. Their names have three different meanings, peace, fragrance, and beauty. And this very, very unique and specific mention of these daughters. And here's, I think, the point of the story. I think the point of them and the author making mention of these daughters in such specific ways. Now, remember how they would name people is they would name people specifically based on where they were at in life or what they were going through or what their hopes and dreams were for the kid. Or that. I really think that these, these girls were named after what Job had discovered is that even in the midst and even in the aftermath of suffering, that when the presence of God is there, there can still be, even in suffering, there can still be beauty and fragrance peace. You can find that. There's this fascinating story, and I'll close with this. There's this guy named George Mueller who was a Christian evangelist and missionary, and, and, and his life was filled with, with incredible triumph for the kingdom of God. Like, he built an orphanage that, that took care of over 10,000 kids. I mean, just incredible stuff, missionary work, and, and people coming to Christ, but it was also laced with incredible pain and suffering and tragedy that he had to experience on a personal level. And all of this, man, the guy just lived an incredible life. And, 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 and here's what he said. He got to speak at his wife's funeral. And this is what he said. His wife died on February 6, 1870. She died of illness. They'd been married for almost 40 years. And I want you to listen to what he said. I miss her in numberless ways and shall miss her yet more and more. But as a child of God and as a servant of the Lord Jesus, I bow. I am satisfied with the will of my heavenly Father. I seek by perfect submission to his holy will to glorify him. I kiss continually the hand that has thus afflicted me. I think that he was a man who had gained a certain amount of perspective in life. And what he had realized is that life is filled with joys and triumphs, but it is also sometimes filled with pain and heartache, and I cannot make sense of it all the time. I wasn't there. I don't know. But I can always rest in the sovereignty of God and trust in the goodness of God and surrender to the will of God. And if I do that, then God will bring me through, and I end up finding peace and something beautiful on the other end. I hope that no matter what tragedies that you experience in life, that you will not walk away from God 
but you will walk with God because of them and draw closer to him because you don't know. What's the alternative? To get angry, to get bitter, to distance yourself from the only one that can actually give you strength and peace and bring you through it. I pray that whenever you go through tragedy that you draw closer and watch what God does in the midst of it all. Let's pray this morning. So Father, I pray, God, that that as we look at maybe what the life of people around us and what they're going through, Lord God, that we can share some love and some compassion, some strength and encouragement, God, to those who may be dealing with pain and suffering. If you're in here today, as a matter of fact, if you're here and you say, you know what, Todd, I'm going through a hard time. Heck, you mentioned me earlier today. If you, if you say, hey, I'm in here and I'm going through it, I'm dealing with incredible pain or tragedy or suffering, I want you to just slip your hand up. Everybody's head bowed and eye closed. This is just us. But I'd just like to pray for you specifically. Yeah, there's a few hands up all around this room. Yeah, yeah. Father, I pray for those, God, with their hands lifted. Lord, I pray for them, Lord God, that they would walk with you. That, Lord God, they would draw closer to you. That, God, their heart and mind would be open to you, God, to do whatever it is that you want to do, God, to bring peace, to bring strength, to bring healing, God. God, we pray for them. God, I pray for everybody else in this room because, God, no matter where we're at in life, if we're not in tragedy right now, there may be one down the road at some point in our life, and, God, I pray that we're prepared for it. That when tragedy hits, we don't turn from you, God, but we turn towards you. God, we pray that we would always humble ourselves. God, to rest in your sovereignty and to trust in your goodness and to surrender to your will, Lord. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv. 